Hello and welcome to the Handed Down podcast, celebrating traditional songs and the people who sing them. Now, today's guest is a folk singer and a dancer and, and also a researcher. Jenny Higgins, welcome to the show. Hi there. Hi, great to have you on. Oh, um, thanks for having me. We're going to be talking about the song Dauphin Mistress today, but uh, before we go into that, tell me about how you got involved in folk music, because am I right in thinking you've been involved from quite an early age? I was a babe in arms at gigs and festivals. My parents uh, used to help organise Pretty Folk Festival and have been going to festivals for as long as I can remember. So I grew up in the folk clubs and on the folk scene. And I think my first time I ever performed was at uh, Dreamers Folk Club in Cornwall. It was in Helston at the time. I think it's sort of in Redruth now. And at five years old, mid Cayley, I marched up to the front and said, I'm going to sing a folk song. And everyone's sort of expecting Baba Black Sheep and and the like, and ended up with uh, Suzanne Vega's uh, Tom's Diner. So oh, that wow. ended up happening. <laughs> <laughs> That's a um, great yeah. way to start. I think it is. Yeah, I mean, start as you mean to go on, I guess. And then, uh, so yeah, I was growing up singing and sing arounds, having lots of fun, started uh, clog dancing as well at sort of like 16 and have been doing that ever since. I'm sort of, it's more the Lakeland style of clog that I do. I sort of moved away from the performance aspect for a couple of years during my degree and ended up going down the more academic route and helped with a couple of the archives. So I helped with um, the Ruth Tongue archive at Halsey Manor um, with Matt, the librarian there at the time, um, with the preservation task of that. And I also helped with the Roy Domit archive at Cecil Sharp House and the Vaughan Williams Memorial Library yeah. um, with another archivist called Matt then, actually. <laughs> uh, so did lots of work with that sort of stuff. And then pandemic hit, obviously, and, and was horrendous <laughs> for everybody. And it was kind of coming out of the pandemic when I was sort of back at festivals and singing again and realised how much I'd missed it and I love it and was like, oh, okay, we need to go back to doing this <laughs> and started gigging in folk clubs again. And then with like involvement in like feminist folk stuff during the pandemic as well, people ended up just sort of saying, well, you sing a lot of female folk songs. When's an album coming? And I sort of went, okay, should do that. <laughs> so yeah, now we're here. Now we're here. That's brilliant. And I'm going to definitely ask you about the album in a moment. But mm. um, first of all, tell me tell me about the song Dauphin Mistress, because when you mentioned that, I, I, I think I said to you, well, I don't think I know that. But actually, when I when I went and looked it up, I did recognize it. So tell me a little bit more about it. Yeah. So this was a song that was kind of sung to me like folk songs were my lullabies growing up, essentially. My dad used to sing it to me um, a lot in the car because I think he'd learnt it from from um, Annie Briggs and the like and, and Maddie Pryor and June Tabor on the Silly Sisters album. Um, and it's a Northern Irish song from the Linen Mills. It's thought that it either originated in Ulster or Belfast. And essentially a dauphin, a dauphin mistress or a dauphin worker, they're the person that takes the full bobbins off of the spinning machines um, in a linen mill um, and it's kind of suited to women and children because they had smaller hands, so they were much more dexterous, so able to do the work a lot better. 
And um, it always struck me that actually this was a song of of female activism and quite feminist because essentially um, Elsie Thompson is removed from her position and they go out on strike and they say, well, we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna work for this awful boss that we don't like, who isn't pastoral, who isn't caring. Um, we want to work for her. So they're really like they're singing in praise of of their overseer, which is which is lovely. I mean, the the line um, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. This was a kindness that she was doing to them because often doffers were bent double; they were crippled um, because of carrying like the heavy bobbins and stuff. Uh, mm. So they were. It really wasn't wasn't great work for them. And so she hung her coat on the highest pin because they couldn't reach it. So that's a really interesting line in it which i think is really powerful that they're they're so they have so much love for her because of that of course like the industrial revolution saw like a new tone in songs from the factories it's it's not the sort of the pastoral songs that this is it sort of it changes in tone so this is yes one of the first songs we have of feminist activism but also one of the last songs we have of that sort of romantic factory working style which Mm. is really interesting i think it's extremely interesting. So what are your earliest memories of the song? You said you, you heard it at a very early age. Yeah, so my dad used to sing it to me in the car and it, it was just sort of taught to me as like a three-verse song mm. that we'd that we'd just sort of sing. And me and my sister uh, really enjoyed playing with harmonies with it as a child. Yeah, like yeah. As kids, we loved that sort of stuff. Um and so it, it was just one of the ones that that I knew. And if I was ever called on to sing it, my dad would just sort of poke me and go, do the dolphin mistress, you know it, <laughs> sort of thing. It was one of those that you just sort of have and you can pull out of your back pocket. But I didn't really think about about what it, what it really meant and what it said until much later. Mm. And it's a really good example of a song that is from that female perspective, because uh, we're going to go on and talk about your album now, I think, because you you are putting together an album about women's songs. And I think it's, is it called Where Are All the Women? Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's the title of the yeah. album. And, and exactly, it is, it is women's songs and stories, largely told from women's perspectives, some of yeah. them that are going to be in there aren't but alongside the songs that I'm singing on the album in the sleeve notes there's also going to be a a musicology uh, Mm. of every single song looking at where it comes from dissecting some of the attitudes within that as well and some of the stereotypes that that have been placed on women over time and really battles with some of those those gender stereotypes but sometimes it's just celebrating the different forms of womanhood that mm. that we have and that that we can pull on from from the past and from traditional music which i always think is just really really lovely <laughs> it is and it's so interesting because when i first heard about your album i my first thought was well there's loads of women in folk songs and uh, then when i thought about it for more than like 10 seconds i realized that actually they they're not the protagonists they're often the the love interest and there's quite a lot of male gaze going on in a lot of these songs so actually a a song that tells a woman's story is quite a rare thing isn't it it really is it's really interesting how the male gaze has played into our culture over time Mm. largely it is either women are an object for the desire of men Mm. Or they are completely the opposite 
and kind of this wicked woman. Um, You have sort of the songs about Alison Gross, um, which I think is another exemplar song of of sort of male gaze in a different way. Um, And the cruel mothers, all the cruel mothers. And the cruel mothers. (laughs) Or um, King Henry, when you have that sort of, that big ghost comes in and is awful and horrible. (laughs) And, but he serves her and Mm. then she turns into the lovely woman that he wanted. And it's sort of like, it's Mm. that expectation I find that's really interesting in that song that, that King Henry goes, oh, yes, well, I served you and, and now you're nice. And so obviously you're mine. <laughs> and you're yeah. sort of going, actually, she might have just wanted those things and she can leave you to it. <laughs> I think these narratives are such interesting things to play around with. And I think sometimes it's good to change up these songs as well. Like yeah. if anyone is ever thinking, oh, well, it's a traditional song. I just won't sing it because it doesn't serve me. No, change it. It's a living mm. tradition. We can do that. Yeah, no, that's something that I've learned quite recently after being maybe a little bit shy to change songs a bit, but I I started doing it and uh, I recently found out that I think it was Dave Swarbrick said to Martin Carthy, well, you can do what you like to these songs. They're so old, no one cares. So (laughs) I think it was the songs, the songs don't care. You can't hurt them because they're that old, but you know, it's, there is something quite liberating about it, isn't there? Exactly. And if we think about the songs, even if you're going to the deepest, darkest archives and finding something that hasn't been sung for a hundred years, You'll have found it from somewhere, yeah. and so that original form will still be out there if yeah. if that's wanted by someone else. You can do what you want with it. Yeah. So, so what kind of songs do you have then on your album? Yeah. So I've got uh, stuff that is very much looking at the love interest aspect. So I've got my Johnny and uh, the Drowned Lovers, which yeah. I think are two really interesting songs of the sea from women's perspectives. Like we often have these shanties, Mm. but what about the women? (laughs) What about the wives they leave behind? Which I think is, is always interesting, but I wasn't looking for broken token songs. I think that's Mm. a whole project in and of itself. (laughs) (laughs) I was looking for something a little bit different, but I also um, have juxtaposed that with things like uh, my husband's got no courage in him. Yeah. which I think is is quite a negative song from a woman's perspective and very not understanding. Um, I think that as well. And I, I, I thought I was quite alone in that. It, it sounds, yeah, there's something, there is something quite negative about it. I, I just think the guy's gay yeah. in a time when Either it was gay or impotent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's one of those ones that it really doesn't sit well with you. Mm. Like I love to sing it because it has a lovely tone to it, but I'm also, mm. oh, gosh like the actual words of that song are horrendous they are a bit yikes aren't they yeah yeah they are a little bit yikes um so (laughs) I'm sort of I'm looking at it but at the same time writing the musicology behind it and going oh isn't this awful (laughs) isn't this a terrible thing (laughs) there's that one I've also got an arrangement I did of Let No Man Steal Your Time with the Seeds of Love thrown in there as well, because I think that's a really interesting way of looking at male-female relationships as something that's very give and take Mm. and what is taken away from from the woman in that situation. And they work together quite well. Mm. So yeah, there's that. And there's a bluegrass song thrown in there and there's there's all the old traditional stuff like the trees, they do go high because I'm from Somerset and of course I have Mm. to throw that in there. (laughs) And it's a great song. 
it's a brilliant song. So yeah, there's a bit of everything for everyone. That sounds amazing. Now, but if we want to hear this album, we've got to take action, haven't we? Because you have got a Kickstarter running for it. Absolutely. We've got to take action and, and soon. There's 22 days <laughs> left as of the day we're recording. Yeah. Um, I'm raising the money on Kickstarter um, because as an artist that's really only been sort of taking stuff seriously since the pandemic, it's been really hard to get gigs mm-hmm. um, to get them the money behind me for an album. So I'm really sort of pulling on the kind people around me to say, can you pre-order my album, please? If anyone feels like this is something that really interests them and they would they'd really like a copy of the album, um, then please, please do pledge to the Kickstarter campaign. Absolutely. And we'll put the link to that in the show notes. Let's get this album made because it sounds like an album that just needs to be made, doesn't it? Yeah. And I'm really sort of pulling on that traditional style of a cappella singing mm. without anything behind me and and just kind of going back to the roots of these songs and and singing them in the ways that that they would have been sung a long time ago without all the fancy extra bits on top. I rode out on a bright May morning like a hero in a song Looking for a place called England Trying to find where I belong Couldn't find the old flood meadow Or the house that I once knew No trace of that little river Or the garden where I grew You've got quite a thread of feminism running through the things you do at the moment, aren't you? Because you, you're one of the founders of the Folky Union of Women, and you're also on the Thank Folk for Feminism podcast, which is a brilliant podcast. Um, what is it that draws you to those things? So I was always a bit of a, a strong-minded feminist from sort of 11 or 12. I started to read Catelyn Moran and Jermaine Greer mm-hmm. and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and started to sort of think about how that applied to my life. And one of the things that that really caught me was how the folk world as it was then didn't meet with the ideas that I was sort of taking in. It, it didn't ring true with that and it didn't seem right. Um, especially in teenage years, you see, you start to see how... MCs introduce you on stage and then you start to see interactions with those around you and you're just like oh no Mm. (laughs) there's growth to be to be made here like there's there's a lot of room for change I think and so the trad stands with her campaign came out um with those really amazing women who Mm -hmm. who had the confidence to speak up about some of the issues that that they face and i and i could really relate to a lot of them i'd sort of, i'd been in the folk education world i'd i'd seen how it all goes down i'd seen how it happened i'd seen friends hurt i'd been hurt myself and i was just sort of like okay this is starting to have an impact that's really amazing i could probably also step up here and help with this because also i'd i'd had some, a lot of training in safeguarding in that kind of area so started to see how safeguarding could really be applied to the folk world and how that that was a feminist campaign really because it's mm. it's protecting protecting any everyone with equality i think is really important and providing those safe spaces to report issues i think is also of the utmost importance and so i joined ella with the Folk Union of Women, which is essentially an online space giving victims 
a space to come to and to be heard and actively listened to. So we offer peer support with that because it ten- it's run by the three of us who are all in our early 20s. We're not counsellors. We don't counsel. Mm-hmm. We listen and we can signpost to other organisations where that's needed. But if it's just an ear that's needed, we're there. And we're also one of the only organisations at the moment that are run by the younger end of, of the folk scene. So we also, we sort of we partner with Bit Collective and Esperance and, and the Thank Folk for Feminism podcast. So then uh, Lucy and Pinky were sort of like, we need help with social media. Like we can't do it on our own. We need mm. someone who can just mm. sort of keep an eye on everything. And I just sort of went... I can do that. I do that for, for other people. Like that's fine. I can absolutely lend a hand here, and I'm always happy to help those that I think are doing doing the most amazing work. And they really are with the podcast. Like the conversations that they're opening up is just yeah. amazing. But even before that, we'd been talking about the work I was doing with academic journal article writing and my dissertation and that kind of stuff that also looked at some feminist issues in the folk scene and so ended up joining the team with them as well and now I do a bit of a segment called the folky myth busting segment where we look at some misogynistic things that everyone sort of thinks is normal Mm -hmm. and thinks has just always been in folk and I sort of go, oh, I think you'll find that's not true. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think the first one we did was, is Morris dancing just for straight white men? <laughs> yes. And I was listening to that a couple of days ago. It's, it's really awesome. I love it. And that's, that's, on the, that's on the Thank Folk for Feminism podcast. Just I'll get that in there because uh, people might not have caught that. I was sort of listening in awe <laughs> to your um, deconstruction of Morris dancing and uh, the the myths, I suppose, isn't it, about Morris dancing rather than Morris dancing itself? Yeah, yeah. These are things that that really aren't true and are just sort mm. of things that people kind of place upon Morris dancing, which is a real shame, I think, because you lose some of the beauty and the and the magic of that dance. Like, mm. I, I love that style. I think it's brilliant. And so, yeah, just sort of reintroducing people to some of its sort of history and saying, well, actually, women can do it and they should be doing it and, yeah. and anyone can do it. <laughs> yeah, because they always were. <laughs> Exactly. They always yeah. were, always will be. And so, yeah, I just think that kind of stuff's really important. So it's been great to sort of share that stuff on the podcast. As one of the members of Folk Union of Women, I did a talk with Esperance on safeguarding young musicians. Um, so that was one of their online Zoom meetings, which are really great and everyone should check out. They're just sort of an open space to chat about various issues on the English folk scene primarily, but also across Britain. And it's run by Rosie Hood and Nick Beasley and Emily Portman and Sarah Jones. And they're just brilliant at facilitating conversation with the speakers as well. And then last weekend, we did a panel talk uh, at the Youth Development Day at EFTUS on gender inclusion and diversity in folk, mm-hmm. um, which was just a brilliant day where we all just sort of went, it's safeguarding isn't it that's that's what we should all be doing <laughs> mm, yeah you know it does feel like it's quite an awesome moment in the the history of folk right now there's there's such a lot going on that's incredibly progressive and and probably not before time as well but the feminist take on folk music the queer folk the um exploration of of black and minority ethnic 
folk music in the UK as well. I think there's some amazing things going on. Absolutely. We're sort of, we're taking all of the bits that, that people have always said just aren't in folk and mm. sort of going, oh, actually, no, it's here. Look, <laughs> we're <Yes>. doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all kind of finding a lot of joy in doing that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And um, your, so your dissertation, you wrote about how folk traditions create an imagined idea of an English past. And I guess that there's an editing out of women's stories and black stories and queer stories as part of that. Is is that right? Tell me a bit more. So it kind of pulls on the ideas of um, Georgina Boys and what she wrote mm. in The Imagined Village, yeah. um, which is an amazing book I can recommend to anyone, yeah. um, and kind of takes it further. And so a lot of that I personally believe and have found evidence to support. <laughs> it's yes. always worth noting. Um, I I kind of think it was it was middle class folk collectors in the first folk revival, yeah. going out into the rural countrysides and 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 industrial towns and collecting these songs. But at the same time, they were gatekeeping essentially because they're mm. deciding which ones are appropriate. Yes. Uh, even if they're too bawdy, they don't want to know um, which ones kind of fall in line with their ideas so um various talks i've done on morris dancing with, about rolf gardner and his impact on that it wasn't just morris dancing that he had impact on he was also applying those nazi social ruralist policies on the songs that he was collecting as well and the importance of this is, is that these middle class folk collectors had the means of recording stuff yeah. uh, they were able to read music they were literate so they could log everything down, whereas some people in the villages weren't literate, weren't able to to record everything, and so you sort of go, well, what was what was lost then, and what was later collected that was carried on through the oral tradition, and and how much could that have possibly changed? And so that's really interesting. But we did have some female folk collectors like Lucy yeah. Broadwood, who's also often not spoken about, and she was an amazing collector. And so it, it it was kind of looking at okay, where can we find this stuff? How can we use that? And and how can we sort of not undermine what the, the the sort of the first revivalists did, but look at it with a new light and sort of see, okay, well, there was something going on here. And it's quite interesting because they were essentially sort of saying that due to the Industrial Revolution, we were losing English culture. The last great composer was Purcell and that was it. And then sort of went into the countryside to go and collect these songs to write to write new material that they thought they could write the next English big piece of amazing cultural music. Yeah. And then we're going, oh, actually, it's been here the whole time. England's always had, and <laughs> England and Britain have always had culture. It's just that people weren't listening. It was admirable work, but I think we always have to think about who has the privilege and the power to be able to do that. Yeah. And what means is that serving is essentially what the dissertation was looking at. Let's talk gigs. Have you got any gigs coming up that people could go to? Yeah, so I have the sort of the regular folk club gigs at Twickenham Folk Club that I often do. Yeah. I've got some stuff in the works at the moment that I can't talk about yet, but Ooh. will be happening. <laughs> but there will be a bit of a folk club tour happening this summer. Excellent. So I will release it all on social media when it's time. 
brilliant talking to you thank you oh you too thank you so much best of luck with the kickstarter i will push it out thank to everyone you. i know um and uh let's see if we can get it over the line yeah that's all we have time for for today but we'll be back again soon with more stories more interviews if you like what you hear do tell other people about the podcast and give us a follow on twitter at handed down pod and if you'd like to support the show, please support the artists that we feature and others like them. Support our folk scene and we'll be able to keep what we love. And now to play us out, we've got Jenny Higgins with Dauphin Mistress. Oh, do you know her or do you not? This new Dauphin Mistress that we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name. And she helps the Dauphers at every frame. Land me rifle doll and me rifle day. On Monday morning when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her friends, shouting, damn you doffers, tie up your ends, land me rifle door and me rifle day. Now when the boss, he looks round the door, tie your ends up, doffers, he a throw, tie your ends up, we surely do. For Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Land me right for doll, and me right for day. Oh, tie our ends up, we surely do. For Elsie Thompson, but not for you. We'll tie our ends up, we'll leave our frames, and we'll wait for Elsie to return again. Land me right for doll, and me right for day. Oh, do you know her or do you not? This new Dauphin mistress that we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name. And she helps the Dauphers at every frame. Land me right for doll and me right for day.